Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in Christmas finance radio. This is, I mean, this is Christmas finance radio. I'm a Christmas guy. I'm, I'm pumped. I always do. I loved it as a kid. And that newness or, or, that, or that affinity for it has not worn off. And because my children, I'll tell you guys, I'll tell the Know Your Risk Radio family first here. I'm especially excited for Christmas because I got to do something that I've always wanted to do. When I was a kid, I was either five or six years old and get up, do, I was one of those kids that literally, I think uh, if I remember correctly, one morning we we had a hard 6.30 wake up to the point where my dad even kind of like booby trapped the door that led from the uh, uh, that led to the kitchen, which led into the family room, so that nobody could, uh, you know, nobody could evade, nobody could sneak and get get into the get into the treasure trove before it was time. And um, and I woke up. I think you know it was normal for me to wake up somewhere between like three thirty, three forty five in the morning. And I realized I got a lot of time to cover here, but there's no way I'm going to get back to sleep. So I would do a math problem and figure out how many seconds remained. I know at six years old, right? What a weirdo. Um, and then I would count and that's how I passed the time. So, you know, it'd be like 780. No, it'd be a lot more than that. You know, it'd be thousands of minutes. And anyway, I just count. So I was so excited. And one, one Christmas in particular, um, got up and we'd gone and we'd, we, we, we'd, we'd, my uncle had a, a four wheeler, right? An ATV. And I just, you know, I'm six years old, red-blooded American kid. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Then then a neighbor across the street, his dad bought him one or bought himself an ATV and bought a little one for my buddy. And I mean, that was just, you know, now I'm coming out of my skin. And so my dad took me to the store and we looked at a couple and boy, these are just too expensive, you know. So we get up with that Christmas morning and go out there and, and you know, I'm obviously hoping for an ATV, a four-wheeler, but I walk out and I don't see one in the living room. Now, when you're six years old, you don't really stop to think, well, how in the world could he get it in the living room? This doesn't mean you struck out, right? But I probably still believed in Santa Claus at that time. And so I just thought, hey, it's not here. It's not here. So we go through, open the presents, and I'm always thrilled. Our family was one that, you know, we did a, we did a, a birthday cake to Jesus. We, 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 we were not over materialistic at all when it came to Christmas. We got fun toys. My parents didn't go out and, and my parents made good living. It just wasn't, we didn't put the emphasis on presents. And, um, so we always got good stuff, but we were never those kids where it took me an hour to open my present. You know what I mean? We usually get one big thing and then like three or four, like smaller things, you know, like a new video game, pair of jeans, but usually one big thing, like maybe one year was Nintendo, you know? So we open through our presents and there's really no big thing. And I remember sitting there going, okay, I got some cool stuff, but you know, this is, this is a little lighter than normal. I'd expected a few bigger pops in there and, and, and the present, the present opening's over and I'm sitting back on the couch. I can see it like it was yesterday. There was a sliding glass door off of the family room that went outside onto the patio. And the, 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 the shades were drawn, but they were these kind of shades back then, more common back then. This is the 80s, by the way. So it's a while ago. I'm dating myself. But it, but it was kind of like, you know, it was mostly cloth, but it had little holes in it. So you could kind of like see a little bit of stuff outside. And I remember looking at the window and I saw some red, you know, shining through the, or, or showing through the, uh, the drapes there. And again, it's probably 40 minutes after we'd opened presents. And, you know, we, we, you know, it was over. And I was like, what is that? Still not connecting the dots. And I go out there and I pull back the curtains and there's two brand new four wheelers with Christmas bows on them. And, um, I lost my mind. So fast forward, spent the next two hours, 
driving our four-wheelers up and down the street on Christmas morning, literally in pajamas and a helmet. And, uh, you know, just out of my skull excited. And so I remember when Samel, my wife and I, when we first started having kids, I thought, one day I want to do that. Well, guys, this is the year. Picked up some four-wheelers, wanted to do it with my kids. We had so much fun going out into the woods. And, you know, it's just a great, great time to spend with your kids. So the last two days I've been driving around like a madman trying to get them without, you know, picking up suspicions of the kids. Right now the four-wheelers are stashed at my parents' house, fittingly enough. And I will go extract them Christmas Eve after the kids go down. I will set up that same display. And I am so stinking excited for it. I can't even see straight. Their minds are going to explode. And um, so if you can't tell, I'm a little fired up. So anyway, we're going to talk finance now. But I just had to tell you that. I share with the I, – I am – I've been wanting to do this since we had my first child, my beautiful daughter, Avery, who's now 12. And uh, I don't think she's going to be as into it to the, as the boys, but she is a go faster girl. So I'm, you know, we, we've got, I got her a helmet too, and, she, and, and she's going to be set up. She's going to be coming with us. But um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled and can't wait to watch those little suckers heads explode. So anyway, on to the market update. Um <clears throat> And I'm not phoning it in, guys. I'm really not. Um, I just think looking at the market every week right now, <laughs> from a guy that hosts a weekly investment show, um, I, I, I think, and it's good to talk progress, but I think in these periods of times, we have to be very disciplined and we cannot get off course. So I'm actually recording this show today on Wednesday. Uh, Nike announced quote unquote good earnings. Uh, their stock went up 12%. It led to a 500-point rally on the Dow. S&P was up 1.6, 1.7, no, 1.5. Um, oh, it's better earnings. Well, then you go read through the earnings report. <laughs> and um, there were some parts to their last quarter that weren't as bad as projected. But then when you read through the actual data, it wasn't good. It was Less not good, but based on cost cuttings, not really anything pointing to any underlying strength. And then that, of course, causes a market-wide rally. I, I just think, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this every week from here on out until probably, I don't know, two quarters into next year where stocks actually get cheap because we're not. Um. I think that this is specifically a period of time where we need to think longer term. And the reason for that is just look at how erratic markets have been acting, right? And, and today, Wednesday, again, the 21st, you guys are going to be listening to this on the weekend. But today was a perfect example. Nothing has changed. Nike didn't announce good earnings. And Nike stock wasn't cheap. After today's rally, they're trading at 33 times earnings for a retailer going into this environment, a high-priced retailer. Um so, you know, if I think there are times where we need to be playing, you know, we need to be paying attention and, and potentially tacking based off what we hear in the short term. But today is, in my opinion, is just another example of this market is not ready to accept reality the way it is. And I, you know, I think you guys have heard me. I don't think we're on the edge of financial Armageddon. I just keep hearing people say, oh, it's been a rough year. A lot of stuff's priced in. It's just wrong. It's just categorically wrong. And I've said that a lot, and I'm going to keep saying it. Okay, a market trading at 21 times earnings is not cheap. Are there cheap things in that market? Yes. All right, is there a lot of cheap stuff in that market? No. People go, well, are you looking at how much that's dropped? Look, if (laughs) somebody wants me to pay a million dollars for a cheeseburger – and nobody buys it and they discount that cheeseburger to $400,000, that does not make it a cheap cheeseburger, right? It doesn't. Is it tasty? Probably. Am I going to pay 400 grand for it? No, right? Call me when it gets down to seven bucks, which is weird to even say, right? I remember Big Mac Happy Meal at 299 or Big Mac meal, right? A supersized meal, 299 But my point is, is that something getting less obscenely expensive doesn't mean it makes sense. It doesn't. Um, and I'm not saying Nike's a bad company. I'm not telling you to sell Nike. I think Nike's an incredible company. I think they're a powerhouse. 
And if Nike gets cheap, it will be something that I look at just because I think it's a phenomenal company and I like their stuff, right? But when I'm looking at this landscape with M2, right, the monetary supply is a broad, broad look at monetary supply falling off a cliff. Um, and, and everybody goes, well, look at all the wage growth. If you go look at the data, we have had negative real wage growth for two years. And this is the problem I have with a lot of the reporting you're hearing out there. Well, look at wage growth. Guys, we're looking at 40-year inflation. How about we adjust? Because that's really the question, right? If inflation's running at 8% and wages rise 6%, you do that long enough, that alone creates a recession, right? Because you you're not even keeping up with the, with the increase in cost. So it's just like we live in this vortex where nobody wants to actually look. And again, I'm not talking about if you say, if you and I look at the data and your argument is, look, I think for reasons one, two, and three, it is possible that we avoid recession. That, that, that's a perfectly fair statement. I vehemently disagree with you. And I think that that opinion flies in the face of every piece of economic data we currently have. And I think we're in a recession already. I think it's just semantics. But if, if, if that's an opinion, that, that's possible. And to say that that's not possible means you haven't done this job long enough. Right? But then to extrapolate it and sit there and go, well, you know, I disagree. I think everything is fine. I, I, I was having this discussion earlier today. I go, listen, or, and Jim Cramer went off recently and made his comments. I think I talked about it on last week's show. And um, I'm again, don't mean to beat up on him, but he's like, look, the economy is finding its footing and I think we can avoid recession. And that's the kind of statement I have a problem with. By finding its footing, what are you pointing to? A moderation in, in, in inflation? And he'd probably be like, yeah. And I go, Jim, do you realize inflation goes down in every single recession recorded in the last 150 years? If anything... <laughs> that is supportive of our view. And he goes, well, yeah, but lower inflation means the Fed's going to cut rates. And I'm like, did you just hear the Fed in the last meeting say that they don't plan on cutting rates at any point in 2023? Again, it's just, it's like we live in this environment where everybody believes like that they can just have their own narrative based on nothing. And if this was like the last 15 years, meaning interest rates were still at zero, and the Fed was still standing there looking to pour liquidity into the system, I would feel a lot more 50-50 right now, right? And I would give more credence to those guys. But I look at them and I go, this, this complete dismissal of risk is done based on the, the, the past 15 years of experience that you've just had, meaning they've all been false scares because the Fed was sitting there with way below trend inflation and they were ready to dump money into the system at any turn. That is not the case now. So I, I guys, I just, th this is why I think in, 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 uh, in football, we talked about eye discipline and what eye discipline was, was avoiding the stuff that is meant to distract you and keeping your eyes on your key, right? As a linebacker for me, it was almost always a combination of the guard and the quarterback, right? And you don't want to look other places because they, they, those other things going on were meant to distract you. I, I cannot think of a better analogy for this market right now, right? We've got to have eye discipline. We cannot be looking, well, that Nike result. Go read. That's the other thing. Everybody lives off headlines. Go read through the, go read through it. Again, it wasn't horrible. I'm not saying it. Does it justify the current value? No, it's craziness. When you see a retailer trading at that multiple, that tells you that, man, things look good going forward. It's not insane, but it, it's very optimistic. People are like, well, it was up to 180. It was ridiculous when it was a 180. It's not ridiculous here now, but it's expensive. And in normal situations, does that mean it can't go up higher? No. But when you look at that valuation, that multiple and then look at what we're facing. I it it's it it's sounds crazy to me, and it should, right? A, a, a high end retailer probably shouldn't be trading at around thirty four, thirty three times earnings going into the you know the setup that we're currently facing. And I think that's going to be the key. The other thing I think is going to be the key is not paying. This sounds crazy. 
not paying as much attention to price fluctuation. Why? Because when you're in trend, meaning if you're in a bull market, price movements actually mean a lot because they show things, right? You have a clear trend. The economy is clearly growing. Inflation subdued. Things look good. And usually stocks move for a reason. But when you get into a market like this, it's just going to cost you money. And knowing that you're going to have to endure days, weeks, and sometimes even months of underperformance. And I'll just be clear with you guys. We've, I don't know if it's underperformance. I think we lost a little bit, but I'm sitting down 10% on the year right now in the value portfolio that I run. Uh, one point in the year, we were up seven. Um, and it, I'm, you know, I'm not making mistake. I'm not making excuses. Uh, I'm not pleased, but I'm writing it out. And the reason I'm writing it out is all of the things that we currently own, A, are exceptionally cheap, uh, B, exceptionally high quality, and C, based on what we're seeing going forward over the next year, um, I think they're going to do very well. And you have to accept the fact, though, when you get into chop fests like this, and when I mean chop fests, I mean a market that really has, I mean, the trend is very much down, but there's still a lot of um, inexplicable bullishness out there and you have to take everything in stride. And this is where we got to have eye discipline. So what is eye discipline in the world of finance? Eye discipline is keeping your eyes on the fundamentals and not looking at anything else, right? And when something good gets fundamentally cheap, you may want to start buying it. And when you start buying it, you got to recognize to yourself that it's probably not done going down. Why? Because obviously we have seen over the last two years that things can go up a lot for no reason. The flip side of that is things can go down a lot for no reason. And the good gets tossed out in with the bad in times of really big, you know, market tumult. And you got to have the eye discipline. You got to stick to the fundamentals and let's get to that fun. You know, we'll dig into this a little bit deeper in the show because I want to focus on this for a segment again, kind of setting up next week, next week. And I was telling our people on the three minute intro next week, I got a special guest coming on. It's going to be sort of a year in review and a year looking ahead. And it's going to be a wide ranging. We're going to talk financial. We're going to talk investments, but we're also going to talk politics, geopolitics, all of these, because all of these things play a big role, especially right now. And it's a very complicated mosaic. It's a very complicated picture. Um, but the framework we've been using has worked pretty well this year in terms of, um, again, for this year, our lens has been pretty accurate. Um, and it doesn't mean it will be next year. Got to keep the eye, you know, your ear to the ground. But really want to focus on, you know, summarize the year and then focus on what to expect next year. So we're going to get to that. And um, we're going to – and like I said, I'm going to focus more on some of the economic stuff going on in the next segment. But for right now, it, it is the market update. There's just not anything of note that's happened this week. And I think the things that have happened are more of a distraction. Um, the sell-off we had a little bit over the last two weeks since the Fed raised rates again makes perfect sense, guys. What have I been telling you for two years? Rates go up. Stock prices come down. It is financial gravity. Okay, The discount rate goes higher. The multiple has to contract. It's just the way it works. And to make this really simple for the layman out there, the higher rate of return I can get on a guaranteed return investment like a U.S. government bond, and I know inflation out there too. I get that. I'm just saying, just put all that aside. Because remember, inflation impacts cash flows from bonds in the same way it does cash flows from companies. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying that that's already baked into the cake. It affects every financial asset. But the more I can make on a riskless or guaranteed investment, like a U.S. government bond, and they have risk, guys. I'm just saying if you hold the bond to term, you get 100% of your money back, right? That's what I mean. But the higher rate of return that investment pays, the less attractive stocks are right? Because stocks do not have a guaranteed return. So will with 0% interest rates, might I pay 30 times earnings for Nike? Yeah. But considering I can get somewhere between four and five with a combination of US government bonds 
and CDs right now? What I paid? No, absolutely not. So, right. So do, do you see how that impacts it? And this is kind of goes to what we've talked about before is this is why, you know, Warren Buffett says something uh, along the lines of there's no such thing as bad assets, just bad prices. Meaning that investing, everything is relative and people forget that all the time. They go, well, I think that's a good investment. And they go, well, I think it's a good company too, but here's the problem. Here's another company that does something similar, better balance sheet, cheaper valuation, better cash flows, right? So not saying that's a bad company, but we got to put it in context. And when we put everything into context right now, based on what we're seeing, you're going to hear people. I'm telling you, right? Dave Ramsey, I actually ticked off one of our clients, great guy. He heard what I said about Dave Ramsey and he's, you know, kind of was like, Hey man, you know, he's a really good guy. He actually knows him personally. And I said, look, I think I've been really clear about this. I I couldn't respect Dave Ramsey any more than I do. I think he's a great man. And I think he's done more to help the financial lives of people in this country. You know, probably more than anybody, you know, if not, he's right up there. Top five, right? So tons of respect. But when he came out in June and said, housing prices aren't going down with all due respect, Dave, I completely disagree. And, you know, in my opinion, Dave made that mistake. And, you know, maybe he's talking long-term too, right? You know, which he could be right. But I think he made that mistake because he wasn't looking at the whole mosaic, right? In this case, he wasn't factoring in interest rates, which is kind of a big one to miss, especially in this environment. So got to keep our eye discipline. And, uh, and got to and got to and again, got to keep our eyes focused on what matters. And I think the biggest thing right now is focus on the fundamentals, focus on interest rates, focus on market valuations. That to me is what's going to tell you the story. And, and, and also knowing that if we end up in the right place a year from now, it will not feel right several times along the line. It just won't because that's what happens in markets like these. Okay. And that's why we take that risk management approach. If we're right, we're going to be right big. If we're wrong, we're going to miss small. Why? Because we cannot afford to blow somebody up in retirement. They don't have time to recover. They, they, they can't put their retirement on hold. They're not going back to work. And obviously I'm biased, but I believe that that's the way all retirement portfolios should be managed. And if yours isn't, if you don't have active management, if you're down 20% plus this year, it means you don't. You don't have risk management, right? Call us, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Don't make the mistake of, I'm going to let it recover. Guys, just please stop that nonsense. You don't know what recover is. If you'd done that going into the 70s, the last period of really high inflation, you, you didn't, you never recovered. Okay, you didn't. You had flat portfolio growth for 15 years and an average of 9% inflation. You got ruined. Call us, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website. You guys know the drill. Stick with through through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Due to all the money printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation is hit, I'm sure you're aware. And inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. 
What does outside-the-box investing really look like? Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management, and see a side-by-side comparison of your current portfolio versus one Zach would recommend. Schedule your free risk review at knowyourriskradio.com. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us through the break. Okay, so without just being anecdotal, I, I want to dig into this a little bit. If we're focused on, if we've got eye discipline, one of the really, one of the really important things of eye discipline is, A, you got to know what it means, right? And in this, in this case, it's fundamentals. In football, it was watching what the guard was doing, watching the, what the quarterback's doing, watching was that a three-step drop or a five-step drop. Um, because it tells you timing routes and things like that. Anyway, it's not a, it's not an inside football segment, so I won't bore you with that. But what does I discipline mean? Right. And, and for this discussion, like I said, it's fundamentals, economics, all that kind of stuff. So let's start there. And I will tell you that I think when you hear anecdotal opinions with no facts or data cited, uh, be careful. Right. And I was saying earlier, we want to look at things through. We want to do both. We want to establish that philosophical framework so we can understand what is happening right from a philosophical level. And then we also want to be able to look at it through a data, right, a a lens of data on the data side. The reason I will just lay out a few things for you, why the why we feel so certain that we are at the beginning stage of a recession and that. Technically, it will be considered a recession at some point in the first, second quarter. And I'll lay it out for you. So first of all, start from the top. Uh, Virtually every one of the big Wall Street banks have recession indicators. Um, I believe every single one of them at some point this year has registered 100% certainty of a recession indicator that's looking at all different kinds of economic factors. Okay, so that's one. Um, Wall Street banks aren't right. That's just one. They're not always right. Nobody in the investment world is, but that's one piece of data, right? They, they make money off being right, uh, or they want to be right, rather. So right, put that there. Uh, then let's look at some other, right, yield curve inversion. Why is the yield curve inversion important? Because prior to every recession we have ever had, you have seen a yield curve inversion. And as a reminder for you at home, what that means is if I'm looking at two-year government bonds versus 10-year government bonds, I would naturally expect a 10-year government bond to pay me a higher rate of interest, just like CDs. Prior to recessions, that flips. Right now, you can make 3.5% on a 10-year bond and 4.3% on a two-year. That is one of the deepest, if not the deepest, inversions in history. Okay? The reason the depth of the inversion matters is the depth of the inversion has a high correlation with the intensity and the duration of the, of the recession. Now I'm going to put a caveat on that piece of data right now because of what's going on with inflation. This is not a typical pre-recessionary setup. It is in some ways, but in other ways it's not because, you know, you got to put a bit of a caveat there or an asterisk in an environment where the fed is raising rates at the fastest and biggest pace on record. Right. So that could certainly be making that a little bit noisy, but yet again, right. It's up there with the recession indicators. There's another one. Now let's flip to real estate. Why is real estate important? And when I talk about real estate, please do not think we are calling for an outcome that is similar to 0809. We are not. I don't even see that as a, as a probability. If you were to give me what I think the probability of something like that happening, I think it's less than 5%, probably more like two to one. The, the setup of the market is completely different. The credit quality of the law, there's just, it's, it's not, it's not a similar situation, but you know, housing prices are pulling back. Like we've been telling you all year with rates going up, right? And as long as mortgage rates stay elevated, housing is going to be under pressure. Why is that important? Think of all of the things that go into building homes, right? The material demands, furniture, drapes, carpet, appliances, tools, gas, trucks. I mean, it literally, it it encompasses all aspects. And what you see currently, both the rate of sales, the slowdown in the rate of sales, the pullback in prices, what we are seeing in real estate has never occurred at the magnitude it's occurring 
without a significant recession. Never. Okay. Let's look at home builder sentiment. Home builder sentiment is at an all time low. If it's either all time or one of the top, one of the worst three readings ever, it's even lower than it was during the financial crisis. Crazy enough. Uh, I think don't quote me on that. I've got a lot of different factors running through my head here. Um, anyway, home builder sentiment dropped from like a hundred to like 33 years. It, it, it's a historic plunge and a faster plunge again than we've saw in the financial crisis. We have never seen a home builder confidence index plunge that low without going into recession. Okay. Something that we have seen before that has been very highly correlated with recession is we have now just finished. You're going to hear a lot of people talk, well, the consumer's really strong. Consumer's going to keep on spending. Look at the wage growth. And I look at them and I go, what are you talking about? They go, wages are up. And I go, no, they're not. And they go, are you blind? And I go, guys, if you're having a talk about wages in the midst of the greatest inflation we've seen in 40 years, please, please spare me the complete ignorant drivel of quoting me nominal numbers. Okay. Cause nominal numbers in an inflationary environment mean nothing. Meaning don't tell me wages are up 5%. Tell me what wages minus inflation are doing. Right. Cause that's what really matters. If wages are going up 10% and the cost of goods is going up 15%, that happens long enough and you will be in recession. Right. So where, what are we sitting with everybody? Oh, look at all the wage growth. This is now two straight years of negative real wage growth, okay? That is very recessionary. As a matter of fact, I don't think you've ever seen two years of ne- – that never that didn't even happen in the 70s. Think how bad inflation got in the 70s. We still saw – we never saw two years of negative wage growth in the 70s, right? Craziness. Then you go to leading economic indicators, including the decline, I referenced this earlier, of M2, a metric of money supply in the economy. It is falling off the cliff at a deeper, uh, deeper, uh, in a deeper way and in a faster pace than it did in 08, 09. That is intensely recessionary. I, guys, when, so my point here, and I hope I've rattled off enough stats here, and I probably got 20 more that are just kind of. But my point is, everybody can have an opinion, and especially if you're informed and experienced in investing in finance, you've got to stay open to anything. But if you hear somebody out there telling you, oh, well, there are also good, there are no good signs. Now, there are some signs. You got ISM readings right now that are below 50, but they're like at 48, 49. They're manufacturing indexes. If they're above 50, that means they're expanding. If they're below 50, it means they're contracting. 48, 49 is not an alarmist number at all. Matter of fact, we've seen them at these levels in the last 15 years that did not lead to recession, right? So they're not horrible, but they're contracting, right? You put them alongside of everything else. And I think that the the other thing that I think is putting a lot of noise into those indexes is you have a lot of manufacturers still trying to catch up to holes that were built during COVID. So I, I don't think they're telling the full story, but even though there's that anomaly, they're still contraction contracting, right? It's not good. Automobile sales falling off a cliff, used car prices dropping at a record pace, right? Um, you have, you have a record number of people over a short period of time outside of recession. So in the bottom of 0809, the, the number was bigger, much bigger. But over 200,000 homes that have been purchased in the last 12 to 16 months are now underwater. I just, everywhere you look, again, it's not, that's not an apocalyptic number. And it's 200,000 nationwide just of homes purchased in this last run, right? This last year and a half or so. So there are some numbers that aren't apocalyptic, but even those are not good. Uh, Used car or car delinquencies, car loan delinquencies rising at a very healthy clip that looks commensurate with typical recessionary activity. So when I hear guys like Jim Cramer say the economy is getting on firmer footing and we might be able to avoid a recession 
I can't say by for 100% certainty I think they're wrong or, or that they are wrong. What I can tell you is the only way you come to that conclusion is if you're not looking at the data. There is no data to back up that point. And they're going to go the consumer. And you're like, hold on. It's coming. Right? You're already starting to see consumer spending cap and rollover. Right? It's happening. I, 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 well, I think it's, I think you're going to really, I think you're going to see it big time. In my opinion, I could be wrong, but I'll put it on the record. I think when we're looking back at Q4 data, my belief is you're going to see a, a very sizable pullback from Q4 of last year. Right? But this is what I mean by keeping our eyes on the fundamentals, which is there's nothing good out there. Now, typically, and I've said this before, but typically in the past, that sets off an alarm bell in my head. I go, well, when everything looks bad, I want to go buy it. Because that means that usually they've fallen in price, right? So they, they, the asset prices are reflecting what's going on economically. That is currently not the case with the broader market. Like I said, there are pockets. There are things, obviously. You know, obviously, we believe energy is one of those things. But I think even those stocks will probably get hit. You know, so if you're all loaded up on energy, you've still had a really good run this year. Take some off the table, hedge those positions because they're probably going to get hit too. Am I going to sell my faith? No, because again, I'm going to keep my eyes disciplined, right? I'm going to maintain my eye discipline. I do not want to sell things based on maybe temporary short-term losses when the underlying fundamentals look beautiful. I want to keep my eye disciplined. Why? Because once you sell something, I always ask people, when are you going to buy it back? And that's what happens right? They, it's all, that's always one of the big, that's one of the toughest things to do. And we need to keep that eye discipline, right? We, can, we don't sell a stock because you think it's going to go down over the next 30 days. Cause a, you could be just as likely wrong. And then when you look at the commodity setup, guys, all you need is one geopolitical announcement right now. And you could, like I said, I have said this many times before, you could see oil spike 25, 35% a day. Okay. So I'm not going to be sitting there crying in my soup because I unloaded all of my energy companies that were deeply undervalued, producing record amounts of profits and were being sold off in sympathy with a broader market decline. And I'm not going to put myself, will I hedge them? Yeah. Yeah, I will. I manage risk for a living. I'm not going to leave our clients fully exposed, but we got to keep our eyes on that part of it. And quite honestly, if I was just speaking anecdotally, I think, I don't think you, I don't think you'd have a bad outcome if you just sat in cash on the sidelines and waited for the fed to cut rates for the first time. Now, I don't think it's optimal. Um, I don't think that that's the best long-term approach to take, but I don't think this setup is particularly hard to look at. I don't think it's particularly hard to decipher. What is hard about this setup is how many people, seem oblivious to the underlying data or not willing. I mean, who knows, right? They like to tell themselves nice stories at nights. You know, I get it, but that's not data, right? That's not information. That's nonsense. And as you see, and it's really funny, kind of gives you an insight into the way humans think. If you, the, the stock market, contrary to what people think is a horrific indicator of recessions, right? I think I was telling you guys, Two weeks before Lehman Brothers failed, the stock market was only like 12% off its 2007 high, right? It wasn't, predi- it wasn't showing recession at all. And that's always the case. Now, here's what's interesting. When you look at stock market bottoms, they're very consistent and they tend to be very accurate. Markets typically bottom about three months prior to the end of the recession, three to six months prior to the end of the recession. And you look back through all the recessions, it is, it is almost universal. So markets are very good at predicting the bottom. They are horrific at, predict, at predicting the top. Why is that? Because at the end of the quote unquote top is typically when the gains were the easiest, right? It's when everybody was making money. It was a party and nobody wants to leave a party. But sometimes you should. And I'm not saying sell everything and get out. What I'm saying is now is a time for risk management. Now is the time to hold to the things that are good and present long-term value because we're not trying to be market timers. 
But it's also a time to weed out the things that are way over expensive, and we put them on a watch list. We wait for the price to tell us, just like we would with anything else. Why, why don't we go shopping in Nordstrom in May? Of course, I don't know when the half-yearly sale is or whatever it is, because we're going to wait for the half-yearly sale. We can do the same thing in stocks and investments. And like Buffett says, the one thing to keep in mind, it takes short-term eye discipline, but the number one defining characteristic The only characteristic that defines how successful an investment is, is the price you pay. And this is kind of my default position right now. When I look out at this economic environment, it does not incentivize me to buy assets at above average valuations. Right? I just doesn't. Do I want to go shopping for a house right now? Nope. Do you? Nope. Well, if you answer that question the same way I do, which is now I want to see what happens over next year. And you don't have a risk managed stock portfolio that makes zero sense. A lot of you out there, in fact, most of you have stuff. Well, not most of you, but a lot of you out there have stock portfolios that are worth more than the house. You're going to stay long and strong, all this overvalued tech stuff and bonds and all the other kind of stuff you got in there, but you're going to be disciplined as it relates to buying a house. That doesn't make any rational sense. So what do you need? We don't want to time markets. We don't want to get out, get it. That's impossible for professionals to do. Retail has virtually no chance of doing that, not on a consistent basis. We're not talking about timing. We're going to keep the things, even though we know the chances are they're probably going to get hit a little bit more. We're going to keep the things that present great value and are doing really well. We're going to hedge them just in case, right? We're not going to take stupid risks with our clients' money. But this is not an environment with interest rates going. It's not an environment I want to be loading up on expensive assets. I don't want to be holding them either. Matter of fact, it's still a really good opportunity to sell expensive assets. It's called risk management. Why? Because if you're in retirement or close to retirement, maximizing the next year's worth of gains is not the priority. Shouldn't be, right? Financing the rest of your life is the priority. So if we have above average returns next year and get blown apart in the previous two, you haven't done yourself any good. What you need is risk management. So give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boarcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us through the break. And get right into it. Now, this part, and I guess we were doing that. I, last segment was bent to be more focused on the economic facts and the economic reality on the ground. And like I said, you still just see that disconnect between we don't know the outcomes, not saying that, but I look at prices and I look at the environment and there is a big mismatch. And anybody that says there, sorry, there's a hiccup there. Anybody that says there isn't, I, I look, they could be right. I'm not saying that they're just not looking at the data, right? So let, let's, let's spend this last segment here talking about what to expect next year. Are we on the edge? See, this is the, t- this is the tough part about, um, 
in my opinion, the way that we do it, you know, looking at it through the data lens and then also stepping back and looking at, looking at it through the philosophical lens, because it puts you in an intellectually good spot, but it's always uncomfortable. And why is it uncomfortable? Because it's not tribalistic. What do I mean by that? What I mean is usually markets are composed of, well, I guess the markets are usually kind of bipolar, right? You have the uber bullish people that, oh, it's everything's going to be so great. Then you have the bearish people, the whole world's about ready to end. And this environment we're in is exactly that. Everybody goes, well, you're just one of those perma bears. And I go, well, have you listened to what I've said? They're like, well, no, but you think everything. And I go, yeah, I think things are going down. I didn't say there's going to be a depression, right? I didn't say it's going to be chaos. I didn't say it was going to be 08, 09. I didn't say banks were going to fail. Guys, recessions are pretty normal things. It's only become a four-letter word in the age of central banks, right? Thinking that anytime we see recessions, we must not let that happen. Recessions are healthy. What does scare me about this environment is it's the longest time you've ever been without a recession. You've had a proliferation of bad debt like we've never seen in history. You've got really sharp interest rates. When you add all those things together, is there a formula there to create a really horrific economic outcome? Yes. Do I think that's likely? No. Why? Because regardless of what central banks say, if they've got a gun to both sides of their head, which is A, we're trying to stamp out inflation, but the measures that we've taken to stamp out inflation are going to create a depression. I will guarantee you they will pick higher than normal inflation, right? And because of that, they will stimulate again. They will crank back up the printing press. They will cut rates. And be, look, at what, look at the experience we just had through COVID. If things get really dicey, they will send checks out, guys. That's not a one-off. And think of the trend of the last 15 years. Right? Remember when everybody – we almost shut down the country because we were talking about $900 billion bailouts. The other day, Biden announced a $35 billion bailout for some pension fund. It didn't even make the news, right? We, we've come to just accept bailouts. Oh, well, government have to bail them out. Nobody seems worried about how they're going to pay for it. Yeah, they're just going to bail them out. But they're right. And, and that's why I've always said the end of this cycle to me, and I'm not just talking about the economic cycle we're in, but the end of this age of the central banker, it will be inflation. That, that, because they're not going to accept that. We've determined that the greatest pain in the past, and this is always the mistake, the human behavioral mistake, is that the pain that we've always seen, if we talk about bad economic outcomes here in the United States, what do we focus on? Nobody except me, well, me and other guys like me, talk about the 70s. We talk about the Depression. Right? And so that's Ben Bernanke, head of the Fed, spent literally his entire career studying the Depression. Right? We've never seen an inflationary calamity on our hands before. So it's only natural that we're fighting the last war. Right? That's the big danger. That's what we've experienced. Those are, those are things that impacted our grandparents that we saw growing up that impacted our parents. Right? Even if we were born in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, we heard those stories. It made an indelible impact or a mark on our minds. And, and so naturally, we're not as afraid of that other outcome. Now, do I know the timeline on that? No, nobody does. But this goes to my point of saying, we do not need to be afraid of economic calamity, at least in my estimation, not based on what we see. Now, does it need to be on the radar? Yeah, because of the reasons I just ex expressed, right? The economic backdrop doesn't guarantee it, but the economic backdrop with everything you're seeing right now, you just take a snapshot of, of, out of it. It could be, it could be really, really nasty. They're just not going to let that happen. And I don't say that that's a good thing. So that's why I think the next year looking forward is going to be really tricky, right? I think that if you're not disciplined, I think you can get absolutely hammered. If you don't have a risk management strategy in place, I think you can get absolutely hammered. I also think it could be a potentially beautiful opportunity to buy other investments at incredible prices, right? And we are going to be eye disciplined on that. What does that also take though? It takes active management. Right. It takes people sitting there watching this stuff, studying this stuff every single day. The other thing is you're not going to get it done in an index fund or a mutual fund. Why? Because the index funds and the mutual funds are loaded up on all the same stocks that you're not going to want. They're, they're the stocks that worked in the previous cycle. They will not be the ones that go, work going forward. 
right? Think about it. All of the things that did the best in this cycle do the best in a 0% interest rate environment. Do we have that anymore? No. Do we have shortages of that stuff? No. What is cheap, right? Commodities, real assets, right? What do we have shortages of? Commodities, real assets, things of real value. I think that's where the opportunity is going to be. And like I said, I think it's going to be a tale of two cities. And in that way, I think it'll be like the 70s going forward for probably several years. Meaning if you're in one of those general portfolios loaded up on the stuff that worked in the last cycle, I don't think it's going to be fun. And you're not diversified. You're tech heavy. You own NASDAQ. Like you still are. Even though NASDAQ's gotten hammered this year. Guys, the NASDAQ was up like 520% over the previous cycle. The S&P was up like 340. Okay, Dow was even worse than that. Have you watched how the Dow has outperformed all the indexes? You're getting a preview. But if you stick in your traditional ETFs and mutual funds, you're not positioned that way. What does the Dow have exposure to? Cheap industrial stocks and cheap commodity stocks. That's one of the reasons it's outperforming. I had a client call me. He goes, Zach, we're, uh, we're not much better than the Dow this year. And I go, yeah, but way better than all the other indexes. Well, like, yeah, but I'd expect better outperformance. And I go, well, the only reason that the Dow's even close to us is because they own some of the same stuff. Right? You're getting the, the area of the, the, the passive investing approach that worked. You need risk management. You need active management of people that know what they're doing, that are looking at actual valuations, not just throwing you into the casino and telling you to ride the wave. And if you don't have that, an easy way to know you don't have that, if you're down more than 15% this year, you don't have that. Our average client's down four to five. Okay? And if you're in that situation, do yourself a favor, guys. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. And 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. Follow me on Twitter, at KYR Radio. Anyway, Merry Christmas to you all. Thank you for joining me every week. Uh, I know there's a lot of you I haven't met before, but get to talk to listeners and, and just appreciate you guys listening. Um, I'm still surprised that people still do. Um, it's very humbling and, and it's fun. And have a wonderful Christmas. Enjoy your families. And um, we'll be back next week as always. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.